0: It doesn't get any simpler than this. If inflation is 7%, and that's the number they're telling you, and you want to go lend some money to people, but they're only going to give you 2%, on for 30 years, they're going to give you a 2% yield. That is a contract that you are guaranteed to lose 5% of your buying power, period if you think that that situation exists to the tune of $300 trillion in the marketplace right now, if you think that's naturally occurring, well, uh, you're a lost puppy. (laughs) You are lost. You'll believe anything. You would literally believe anything if you think that that's free and open and that's naturally occurring. That's me going up to you and saying, hey, give me $100. I guarantee you, I I will give you $95 back after 30 years. You're an idiot. (laughs) This is the
1: Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Welcome back to the Blue Collar
2: Bitcoin Podcast. If you're new here, Dan and myself, Josh, are two career firefighters with an interest in finance, economics, and of course, Bitcoin. We have been fortunate enough to speak to many of the biggest names in Bitcoin, and this series is no different. This is the second part of our two-part series with Preston Pish and Greg Foss. We continue the discussion about the difficult position the current financial system finds itself in. We dive into more detail about pensions in this segment. We do want to impart that although you may not be involved in the specific pension that we speak about, this information is still relevant because the recommendations that Pish and Foss make can be used in your own portfolio. Our pension is a very typical, quote, balanced portfolio with 65% equity and around 30% fixed income. With that in mind, we believe that the institutional portfolio that these gentlemen recommend, say between 1% to 5% Bitcoin, could have a meaningful impact on the long term trajectory of the fund and its overall health. We would highly encourage you to follow both of these gentlemen on Twitter as they produce pure signal. You can follow Preston Pish at Preston Pish, and Greg Foss is at FossGregFoss. Foss. And as always, you can follow us at blue underscore collar BTC or send us an email at blue collar bitcoin podcast at gmail. Lastly, we are stoked to be sponsored by CoinKite, producer of the cold card, the block clock, and the open dime. Cold Card is the most robust, most secure hardware wallet in existence. The Cold Card is the digital equivalent to storing your Bitcoin in a Swiss vault, six stories under a mountain with nuclear blast doors. Other wallets have physical attack vectors that Cold Card is designed to prevent. You may think that the Cold Card is too advanced or difficult to use, and this is simply not true. In its most basic USB setup, it is simple, easy, and still maintains the best security in the industry. Cold Card is the industry standard and the way we at BCB plan on holding generational wealth. CoinKite has just announced a new version of the cold card, the Mark IV. It's available for pre-order now, so if you're interested in buying a cold card, we would highly recommend you get the new Mark IV. If you decide to order one and you'd like to get a 5% discount, don't forget we have a discount code. Our discount code is BCB. That is BCB, Blue Collar Bitcoin.
1: All views and language expressed by the hosts and guests in this podcast are solely their personal opinions and do not reflect their employers or organizations they are associated with. Do not treat any of the content in this podcast as investment advice or as an inducement to follow a particular strategy. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This current scenario we're in, I mean, you gotta mind your P's and Q's with these dips. I loved this tweet by Dylan LeClaire this week. He had this zoomed out chart of gold in the Weimar Republic where gold's going parabolic and then he transposes the volatility over it. And it's absolutely insane. And basically his message is, if you had speculative leverage on gold in Weimar, wiped out, you'd have gotten wiped out multiple times. You have to be careful just because we're in one blip and, and we're not here to project where the price of Bitcoin is going, but a, uh, a few month event is not worth altering your thesis about. Because who knows what this could do when it, when it heads the other direction? Got to be careful. Let's, before, uh, this is a subject I think that's probably in, in some listeners' heads. Like why, why are we selling off right now? So like, wh- what, are, what are some of the logistical reasons why this asset is being loosed by this many people and we're down 50%? I'll
0: explain it as simply as I can. If you were in the market for buying a house and you had to borrow money to buy the house... Right, If you're getting a 3% interest rate, how, how much can you afford to buy on the house versus a 4% interest rate? You can buy a whole lot more house when it's 3%, right? Mm-hmm. It's just that simple. So as fixed income is, is selling off and yields are going higher, the prices that people can pay are significantly lower, right? And so when we're dealing with a credit-based system, which makes up a majority of the units in the system, right? It's, it's, it's not like Bitcoin where you have a fixed supply, you know how many units are out there. It is the opposite of that. It's like Gumby. It's constantly moving and, and shaping and evolving depending on the circumstances. So if, if credit's getting tighter, And rates are going higher, there's just less units in the system in order to to buy and capitalize everything.
3: Everything. And on that, there is a vehicle that now exists for people to hedge. And I tried to make mention of this before. We have Bitcoin futures. Bitcoin futures is an efficient market that allows a, uh, doesn't require the borrow of Bitcoin physical to short Bitcoin. Okay. We have an instrument that allows people to short Bitcoin without having to borrow it. And who are the people that are likely to want to short Bitcoin right now? Well, there's natural hedgers. I tried to mention them before. Imagine you own Bitcoin mining stocks and you're trying to play the Delta, meaning the trading, the trading uh, parameters versus Bitcoin stocks or Bitcoin mining stocks and Bitcoin, the underlying. Well, you might take a short position in Bitcoin futures against your long position in Bitcoin stocks, Bitcoin mining stocks. Coinbase would be something like that as well, because Coinbase trades pretty well in line with how digital assets trade, which trade on top of how Bitcoin trades. But think of all the digital assets in the world that are true securities. Okay. Bitcoin is not a security, but every single other altcoin in the world is a security. Therefore, it's like an equity. They need to hedge their equity exposure in a beta base against Bitcoin. They can now do it by shorting Bitcoin futures. Okay. All of this means there is more sell pressure on Bitcoin than there ever has been in the history of Bitcoin's 13 years. Not to mention you get the guys who are long equity and think there's a correlation directly between Bitcoin as a Nasdaq stock and other equities. So they go and short Bitcoin. All of this adds to the pressure that's available in the market, pushing down the price of Bitcoin. It's a natural reaction, more sellers than buyers. Over time, they will have to reverse their position. And some of them may get too fancy by a half and realize, you know what? I actually sold something that I should be buying because it's my insurance. So I'm not predicting where the future is going. I'm just telling you why the correlation with risk off exists, because big big money currently believes that that's the way you should trade Bitcoin. Interest rates and all of that, which Preston mentioned, absolutely the components of that. But right now there is an instrument called Bitcoin futures, which allows efficient selling of Bitcoin without having to borrow it. Meaning in a traditional short sale, you have to go out and isolate or uh, borrow the shares or the security, pay for the borrow and short it because that's how markets work. It's not called naked shorting, but Bitcoin futures allow you to do it much more easily. It's a short term hurdle for us, you guys. Everyone's going to be upset. Oh my God, you have to hate the shorts. No, I don't hate the shorts. They're, I giving you, believe-
0: they're giving you huge opportunities. Yeah, I you.
3: think you're totally thank right, <laughs> Preston. Thank you, Mr. Shorts. And by the way, when you have to run for cover, it's called this thing a gamma squeeze. I've tried to describe it in my Bitcoin magazine article as to why Bitcoin is the most perfect option I've ever seen in my life. But this could be a face ripping rally on the other side. I'm not going to tell you that's going to happen, but I'm confident that over time, Fingers crossed that all our financial markets exist in 20 years. From now, people will realize that Bitcoin is the most perfect instrument ever created to hedge the uncertainties of a fiat-based central banking system. Man, oh man, the price right now I couldn't tell you whether it should be 30,000, 50,000, 70,000. It's all a rounding error compared to where it could go.
0: Here's what I'm going to tell you most of your listeners are from the future. And when they're listening to this conversation five years (laughs) from now, okay, they're going to laugh that these are the numbers we're saying.
1: Yeah. That they are. Preston, in your mind, what are some things to look out for in 2022? I'm not looking for outright predictions here, but we're. (laughs) or uh, they haven't done anything yet. The Nasdaq's down 15%, and they're calling for what, three or four rate hikes in 2022. They plan to continue going in 2023. They're going to stop the QE. I mean, what, what do you actually see playing out here in the short midterm, or what are some things to look out for in your mind in the, in the coming months?
0: I'll, I'll say this for Bitcoiners in, in particular. Um, this price can go lower. And it can go lower because you just have you, the the monetary units that you're measuring it against in fiat terms uh, can can get totally impaired because most of them are credit, and credit is a promise, and credit can blow up. Um, so if that happens, like for example, if the if the Nasdaq, I think it's down like fifteen percent right now. If the Nasdaq went down another fifteen or another twenty percent. I would suspect it'd be a pretty painful drop in Bitcoin from where we're at right now for people that are, you know, looking at the performance in in that light. I would tell you it's a massive buying opportunity. Um so don't be surprised. Like just expect the the expectation needs to be insane volatility to the upside, to the downside, all over the place. Um and it's not going to have any type of rhyme or reason based on like reality that you're going to see the market throw these massive emotional swings. Um, you know, like if for example, let's say let's say Powell came out tomorrow, and instead of saying to the script of what he's been the the forward guidance has been, which is now we're going to do four rate hikes, let's say he comes out tomorrow and says we're going to delay the first one, and we're probably going to do three or two in the coming year. If that happens, you're going to watch this market bid like wildfire. It's going to take off. Okay. Or here's another scenario. He comes out tomorrow and, and everybody's looking for some type of dovish statement as, as a hopeful to, to bid tomorrow. Maybe he comes out tomorrow and be like, yeah, we're just, we're going to do. And to be honest with you, my opinion is this is what, he's, what he is going to do. He's going to come out tomorrow and be like, yeah, we're still going to do four, right? There's no change to the plan. And if that happens, I could see the market sell off another three or 4% after those statements.
3: I'm going to go, can I, I hate to interrupt, 10%. I'm going to say it'll sell off 10%. It could. But go ahead and I'll I'll add.
0: It could. And so um, what people need to be prepared. And so when you're hearing that, okay. Are we talking about anything to do with the fundamentals of a business? No. Right? Are we talking about like, hey, Apple's free cash flows were this much. Our expectation over the next 10 years is they're going to keep banging out this much free cash flows. And when I discount those cash flows back to today's value, the price should be whatever amount. Of course, we're not talking about that. You sound like a lunatic saying those things right now, right? Because it's all about what Powell's going to say tomorrow. So. People need to just understand that, and none of this is is something that hasn't happened throughout history. This has happened throughout history ad nauseum when a currency fails, right? Everyone becomes a speculator when a currency fails. Everybody's trying to sell whatever they can at a higher price than what they paid because they're just traders. They're not creating real economic value in society by their activities. They're just trying to keep pace with the debasement is all they're trying to do. So when you see people selling monkey pictures <laughs> right, and you see people selling whatever, they're literally selling JPEGs, dude, they're selling JPEGs. So, and you know what? I, and you know what? I don't care.
3: So well said, Preston.
0: If they, if, if it helps them, if that helps them stay afloat or whatever, like God bless them. Right. Like reality will come back. It will come
3: back. Well, you said it as well, and so here we have, my gut is the same as yours, unfortunately. I think that Jay Powell is gonna try and prove that he's some sort of new sheriff in town and he's gonna stick to his guns. And I think the market will re- react potentially very badly to that. So if we're down 10% on the NASDAQ year to date already, I need to re- reiterate this. This is the first time in history of a 60-40 portfolio that both the long bond and the NASDAQ have been down more than 2% in a month. We're talking about the long bond being down 6% and the NASDAQ being down 15% in one month. Gentlemen, as pensioners of very proud first responders, you've given up one full year of return in one month and it ain't getting better. Okay, I think Powell does not fold tomorrow. I think the market potentially reacts very badly. Do I expect him to fold in the near future? Yes, I do. How many interest rates do I think he'll actually get through? If he's calling for four to six, I think he gets through less than two. Okay, personal opinion, nothing more than the mathematics of a declining pension fund And a populace who looks at the president and says, I don't get this. My pension fund was fully funded six months ago, and now it's down and unfunded to the extent that I may not be able to count on my defined benefits as defined by my pension plan, right?
0: Uh, Greg, two as your base case, two as your most aggressive, give us the range here, what you think
3: the- uh, Yeah, I I thank you for that. I honestly, (laughs) I can only go on 30 years of experience and only seeing one taper tantrum succeed in causing the Fed to fail. Um, It doesn't matter whether it's two or three, I think in three years, we'll all be back to this QE forever. And then there's never any question that it's only QE forever. Bonds are the most horrible investment that ever could be made in the history of mankind. Equities are the only thing that are going to skate you out of traditional assets. Equities will skate you on side in your pension. Hopefully people will realize that there's other assets like Bitcoin that can add to the portfolio. But the truth is, Preston, we're going to be Resigned to a continuous quantitative easing, which keeps the Ponzi, or, you know, there is no taper because you can't taper a Ponzi. The math is pretty simple.
0: When are they saying they're going to do their first hike? March. So, by the trend, the uh, one year alone is based on its trend, should be at 1% by March.
3: Well, one one rate hike, so four rate hikes equals 1%, because if you assume a 25 basis point rate hike each time, but don't forget that that will translate to the rest of the curve. Here's the big problem. When the two-year yield exceeds the 10-year yield, six out of six of the last recessions have been called by an inverted yield curve. Okay? When this two-year yield exceeds the current 10-year yield, which is 1.8%.
0: That's the big one to watch.
3: That's the one to watch. The Fed, everything's off the table because basically the markets are telling you we're going into recession. And if you think things are bad when you have quantitative easing in a debt spiral, try and stomach a recession in a debt spiral. Things implode. And Again, we know the solution. The solution is quantitative easing. It's not a bad thing. It just means don't store your money in fiat currency. That is the dumbest thing you can do. Store your money in a savings account that includes hard assets. And by the way, the best hard asset ever created by humans is Bitcoin. That better be a piece of your hard assets. Store a value savings account. Your checking account. You know, that's where your bonds are. That's where you, you know, I'm afraid, look, anyone who owns bonds, you guys have made a horrible trade. You are going to suffer the consequences of a fiat contract. That's what a bond is. A fiat contract, it is programmed to debase. Full stop.
0: So just for me to like go back to the the one year of being at 1% in March potentially. Why that's important typically your federal funds rate compared to the to your 1 year is about 20 basis points maybe like 40 basis points if it's really separating you would literally be at a 100 basis point spread by the time they raise rates for the first time so they are they're acting like they're really aggressive here and that they're like they're going to do something really aggressive here in 2022 but the fact of the matter their actions are screaming the exact opposite
3: like so that's more the language, so any that's point the language that we're looking for tomorrow, guys. And, and yeah. you know, let's bring this back to, first of all, you know what was great in some of the questions that were sent out when you guys uh, highlighted this, this video? And, and this guy is from Oregon and he's a firefighter. and He's like, I don't understand any of this, but I'm going to tune in. So let me say it for those guys that are tuning in. You have an obligation As a money manager, a fiduciary responsibility for every money manager, with the exception of Peter Schiff, to actually manage risk (laughs) according to uh, your best fiduciary responsibility, meaning you're supposed to make trades that will allow your unit holders a chance of earning return. This is where the interesting future comes, guys. Keep pushing those buttons. If the entire world gets to a 5% allocation in Bitcoin, Bitcoin price is over $2 million a Bitcoin. And that's not because I want the whole world to get to a 5% allocation. That's just the way the mathematics work. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And Bitcoin will solve so many problems, not just for pension plans, but for also for less privileged people in the world. You know, there's a lot of them. They don't have bank accounts. They're not privileged like us North Americans who live in a G7 country and we have the privilege of uh, government support. We have the privilege of banking. This is about an asset that will change so many lives, including potentially the lives of pensioners. I'm going to take it one step further. I have given a presentation to 45 Canadian politicians on Bitcoin. Thank you to Jeff Booth for opening some of those doors. I will tell you within the last three days, I've had calls from five different members of Parliament in Canada trying to figure out how to move to this store of value that works within a checking account system. This is extremely positive. And I pray that it's not too little too late for Canada. But if Canada does it, look out world because the rest of the world will try and do the same thing. And Canada probably won't be the next country to announce they own reserves in their central bank. But I'm pretty confident before the end of this year, there will be some substantial announcements from major nations that announce they own Bitcoin. And then it's game on, right? This is about an asset class that will also help your pensions and also help the world. Win-win. And that's what we want to be here. Positive, right? We want to promote this parallel system because the current system doesn't work. And we're all sitting on the edge of our chair listening to a lawyer. Isn't this hilarious? A lawyer who is running a central bank, a guy who probably never passed Calculus one, almost 100 percent certain he doesn't know what a derivative is, a pure derivative and a physics derivative. This is not the person you want in charge of the world's most important central bank operation. Yet that's what we're dealt with. And we have to try and help the world stick handle out of this, uh, you know, telephone booth, right? We're stick handling in a telephone booth right now.
1: At the hour and fifteen minute mark here, I like this idea of let's round towards home by zeroing in a little bit on the topic we've hinted at repeatedly in this, uh, which is pensions and part of the reason we we brought you on. Maybe before we unleash you two hyenas on this carcass, uh, Josh, do you want to say a couple words here? Josh is on our pension board has a decent grasp of our situation, which I think is an archetype for a lot of other firefighter pensions and and pensions in general. And obviously this is a subject that's near and dear to our heart. So,
2: I think first of all, people listening should understand that this pension portfolio is very, um, it's not controversial at all. It's basically what every money manager would recommend. Even though we're talking about our specific pension, this uh, information would be useful for anybody running their own portfolio because generally this is what you're going to hold. I was looking through a couple of things and this. So generally, this is a 60% equity, 30% bond exposure setup. So it's less bonds than you would expect, probably 10% less. This was just taken over by a new manager. So things are still kind of up in the air, but that's generally the construction of this. So there's a couple of things from this actuarial study I wanted to bring to your attention because it's interesting. So they had an entire uh, section about inflation and their inflation expectations for the next 10 to 20 years. They actually lowered their inflation expectations from 2.5% to 2.25%, which I thought was interesting. And they backed that up by having 24 different um, managers give their opinion. And then they took an average of that, which um, ended up being 2.25%, which <laughs> I think is we would all agree is laughable number theatrics. How do you even respond to this? I don't know. I, I actually, I didn't even, I looked at this the first time like a week ago and I was jaw agape realizing this is going to be so fucking far off. And then the expected return for this portfolio which is 6030 with another the other 10% is real estate and uh infrastructure which I'm assuming is energy. Again, this is all new. They haven't even given us like the breakdown of um everything exactly. 7.125 expected return over the next oh yeah. Per, uh, basically in perpetuity. Yeah, forever. So just those two metrics themselves. I mean, and you have to remember that these metrics are really important for this because that dictates how much money the taxpayers have to contribute to match because that's how these things work. Taxpayers are taxed. Right. They contribute. We contribute. So if these expectations, like if, if 2.25% had to be, say, 7% to match CPI, this would be blown out. The entire, I mean, either people, A, have to pay more taxes or we are completely underfunded. And the same goes for the 7.125% rate. So those two numbers are like the meat and potatoes of what
1: really matters here. I, I think, you know, one thing Josh and I remind a lot of our coworkers is like if dogs don't hunt, hunters go hungry. This thing is either going to perform or perish, which we've seen from, you know, pension funds on end. This is, I guess, ruling out the possibility of bailouts or other things, which would be throwing gasoline on already, already existing fire. There's also the mortality table. I mean, they might just be
2: headhunting us in the end.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's take, these, let's take these guys out. They're going to have to make this pension uh, work. This pension's working one way or another. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's scary though. It's so apparent when you read this and Josh and I were stationed together last week and we were kind of looking over this in preparation for our conversation. It's just a giant game of number theatrics. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Because like, These actuaries and fund, fund managers just have to make this look okay that's to, right. to pass the test. You yeah. Know?
3: Yeah. It is the truth that only one of the contract or one of the assets in your mix actually is a contractual obligation. And the rest are just assumptions. The only contractual obligation is bonds. The other ones are assumptions, meaning they think they're going to earn this much on equities, but it's not a contract. It's an assumption. And by the way, did they, did they include in the analysis that after the first month of 2022, they'd be down 15% in one month. How does that impact their, their return calculations? My God, garbage in equals garbage out, right? And this is only an actuarial assumption based on a bunch of monkeys who've never actually sat in a wrist chair. That's the worst part of this. They've never sat in the risk chair. I will tell you with a high degree of confidence, those assumptions are absolute bunk, absolute bunk, impossible to achieve, and your pension will be underfunded or unfunded in the near future. And that's not what I want for you guys. So you guys are sitting in
1: front of this decision-making body right, for the firefighter pension in the state of Illinois, which is what we're under. What are you telling this group of decision-makers about the role of Bitcoin in this portfolio? I think we've hammered home during this episode that we all agree you know, bond allocations need to be diminished as much as is feasible, which is a, obviously a huge challenge in a lot of funds that have mandates and such. Well, let's pivot to Bitcoin specifically. For people that think this is just a total joke and something that you know mouth breathing basement dwelling millennials trade and fuck around with, make this dead serious for them and explain why this you know let's say a one to three to five percent allocation, whatever it would be in a fund, is a good idea
0: so I'll just start by saying this, and historical performance does not equal future performance, and that's really important to understand and, and consider, but when we look at Bitcoin's past performance, if you had a 1% allocation and the rest was in cash, you would have matched the S&P 500 in performance. The only difference is, is you would have done it with a whole lot less volatility. Um, I suspect, based on, the, based on the numbers, that that trend is going to persist into the future. Um, if it does, just taking a small position, if you don't have the conviction, back to what I was saying earlier, I think is really important. And by having a small position, I think what you're going to do is you're going to force yourself to educate yourself on what this is, why it's important. Um, if a lot of the stuff that we were talking about during this conversation didn't make any sense to you, or it just sounded like a bunch of jargon, um, by having a small position that's somewhat meaningless relative to everything else you own, that you're not even going to really notice uh, in your portfolio. But it's going to force you to learn more, I think is, is worth the price of admission uh, to dig into this and to read as much as you possibly can, because there's no way us sitting around and talking about something for an hour, hour and a half, is going to provide you enough information that you need to know to fully understand what it is that you own right now or what you might be taking possession of. Um, so I would, I, would, I would leave it at this, be skeptical. Don't trust what we say. Learn on your own. Read as much as you possibly can about some of the ideas that we've highlighted on this show and uh, develop your own opinion as to what you believe or what you don't believe. And uh, start off small. Work your way. If you start gaining a lot of confidence, and I would emphasize this, people, as they start to learn, get really excited and sometimes they overdo it especially when you're dealing with something that has a historical volatility of 60 to 70% mm-hmm. on an annualized basis take it slow get 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 your feet wet understand what it is you own so you can actually have the conviction to to hold on to what it is that you have because the, what I just heard on the pension fund thing here that you guys got I mean what a disaster <laughs> What a disaster.
3: I'm I'm will uh, uh, chime in. Well, no, it's it's actually so why did they use why is the uh is the uh forecast for inflation 2.25% amongst all That tells all you these everything extras? you need to know. Exactly, because it makes the math work, right? That's right. the only number that makes the math exactly. work, so needed to come down that low. Mm-hmm. So, you know, building on what Preston said, I, you know, look, I'm no expert, but I've survived 30 years in risk markets. I will tell you categorically that I believe Bitcoin to be the best asymmetric trade opportunity I have ever seen in my 30 years of managing risk. Does that mean I'm right? No, but the probability and the possibility on an expected value basis of Bitcoin achieving extreme Returns for a relatively low level of risk means you need to have some exposure, and you your pension fund may not be the one that changes the uh, the balance. Meaning, it'll be a lot easier for you guys to get your pension to allocate to uh, digital assets, and hopefully, Bitcoin as the most important digital asset, if. A big pension like CalPERS did it, right, guys? Let's be honest. The way that pension funds are managed is by looking over their shoulder and seeing what do the big guys do? It's called the theory of agents. It's about not wanting to bring attention to yourself by being outside of the consensus. But BlackRock just announced a fund, which is basically a digital assets ETF, the largest asset manager in the world, approximately $10 trillion of assets, AUM, announced that they have a silo that will be digital assets ETF. So has Fidelity. Well, they're not doing this because, well, they're doing it because they're going to make money, but they're also doing it because they have pressure from their uh unit holders to offer that silo, meaning that asset class within their traditional portfolio. All I would say to your guys and your investment policy committee is this, start doing the homework. Like Preston said, start your thousand hours of study today, because that's what you need to do. This isn't about trusting some 25 year old kid that says this is, the future. This is about trusting asset managers and risk managers like Preston, like Lynn Alden, like Luke, like Jeff Booth. Those are my four macro guys. I sent that out before the uh, the, the the show today. The
1: four horsemen of Bitcoin.
3: I would put that global <laughs> macro group up against anybody in the world, anytime, any day. In terms of how to properly manage risk. And none of them to a person would say, I'm 100% in Bitcoin. Is that fair, Preston? Not That's even absolutely. friggin' close. But they all would also say, not 0% in Bitcoin either. And therein lies the fine tuning of this whole process. Education, to get exposure to an asset class, which allows you to reduce the overall risk of your portfolio and maintain the same level of return. Or alternatively, keep the same level of risk and increase your return. Same thing I dealt with 20 years ago in trying to bring high yield bonds to Canada. There was one client that was doing it in Canada. And 20 years later, every single Asset manager in Canada has a silo for high yield bonds. 20 years from now, every single asset manager in the world will have a silo for Bitcoin. It's the way things work.
1: Yeah. At first, a couple pops happen in the microwave, and a minute later, the bag is full of popcorn. We had Houston, Houston Firefighters Pension, hat tip to them. They took an allocation in Bitcoin you know, these dominoes are going to start to fall eventually. And even if you know if all these funds start taking a 1% position, this is where it gets kind of weird with the math when you see big money entering like this. I mean, it can happen pretty damn quick, even if they're taking tiny
3: allocations. Well, we saw the math, right? We saw the math. If you do 5%, if everybody in the world took 5%, well, there's 900 trillion of total global assets, financial assets, 5% of 900 trillion is 45 trillion 45 trillion divided by 21 million is over 2 million dollars a bitcoin that is the mathematics that if the entire world gets to a 5% allocation
0: what would that take yields to on fixed income if that if a lot of that comes out of fixed income
3: yeah, great question. You know, um, it doesn't have to though because total fixed income or total debt is four hundred trillion, right? So we're only talking about ten percent coming out of debt. Um, so the, yields would the, be higher, but yeah, but not much. No, I agree. So this is the solution, guys. This is the fiat solution as your as your checking account and Bitcoin as your savings account.
0: So, so here is my point with that, right? If that massive amount of buying power that he just described pours into bitcoin right and it and some of it comes out of fixed income and it only makes the yields slightly go up from where they're already at and you're still getting inflation prints in excess of 7% right there's a whole lot more to come the floodgates are just those are cracks in the dam And the water's just kind of squirting out. It hasn't even broke, right? Because when it breaks, the spread is removed. That negative 500 basis point spread is removed. So, like, I've said this a few times on other shows the printing has already happened. Okay. It's all jammed, packed, stuffed, and crammed into the fixed income market because. When these yields are at 0, the prices are through th- they're through the moon. They've shot through the moon. They're out of the solar system. The prices are so high. Okay? That's what everyone talks about the yields being at 0, but what they're not talking about is the prices are sky high mm. because of all the printing and the bidding and the QE that pushed them there. Yes. Okay? So the printing's already in the system. It just hasn't found its natural homeostasis point. Where everybody's happy and you're not living in bizarro world where you got negative 500 basis point spreads, right? It makes here's here's what I would leave people with. If you're if you're listening to all this and you're saying well, this just doesn't makes it doesn't get any simpler than this. If inflation is seven percent and that's the number they're telling you, and you want to go lend some money to people but they're only going to give you 2%. on For 30 years, they're going to give you a 2% yield. That is a contract that you are guaranteed to lose 5% of your buying power, period. If you think that that situation exists to the tune of $300 trillion in the marketplace right now, if you think that's naturally occurring, well, uh, you're a lost puppy, right? <laughs> yeah, you are lost. You'll believe anything. You would literally believe anything if you think that that's free and open and that's naturally occurring, right? Right. Because that's me going up to you and saying, "Hey, give me a hundred dollars. I guarantee you, I, I will give you ninety-five dollars back after thirty years." <laughs> You're an idiot. <laughs>
3: Actually, it's more like $65, Preston, but that's okay. Well, you're because, right. Yeah, it's like it's it's the worst mathematics that that, that could possibly be. It is $65. It, and, and, like, and, and, it's and insane. It is insane, and this is why uh, we need to start, uh, you know, going out and, and telling the truth. And, you know, then you have other guys that will defend it as a trading mechanism or a, tra- oh, I don't want to own bonds for 30 years, but I want to play the next Price spike or price lift because of, uh, you know, QE and everything. And that's just wrong. Because I'm good at finding
0: dummies and I can sell to a bigger dummy than me.
3: Well, there you go. And bonds are a fiat contract. This is what Preston said so nicely. You don't mess with it. It's only math, right? It's a fiat contract. There's no subjectivity to it. You know exactly what your return will be in the absence of a default. Now, we didn't even bring in the chance of a of a default on the US Treasury and I won't, but over the next 30 years, I'll suggest to the listeners the chance of a US default over the next 30 years is a non-zero outcome. So, Hence the CDS risk, market, CDS market, stuff that I've I've preached for my whole life. Um guys, look, what you've done is open a conversation that, oh, here's some positives. So 30 years ago, when I started in the markets, US 10-year yields were double-digit. Inflation was also double-digit, but it's come down over that period of time to under 1%. But what are some of the positives that have happened? 30 years ago, no one knew what the term fiat currency meant. And now it's almost become part of the Pop conversation yeah. with, with, with regular people on the street. That's the type of thing that shifts paradigms. And that's the type of stuff that enables you guys as unit holders or, or pension beneficiaries to change the policy strategy of your pension fund. I encourage you to do this. Trust me when I say this. Some of your pension guys want to make this change, but their career risk is too high. So what do they do? They say, I'm not going to make the change. Wait until Frank comes in and sits in this chair, and he can be the guy that makes this change, right? They're
1: waiting for a first mover.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say
1: one thing I want to get in before we close is we want to be realists here. Like speaking to the fire service, if we have you know brothers and sisters in the fire service listening here, um, and I'm being true to my gut, it's that uh, these funds are likely going to be bag holders. Like someone's going to be left uh, without a chair in this game of musical chairs. And if we're being real about how slow these funds move, um, the chances that they're going to be first movers in a meaningful way in this arena are low. We're obviously making a valiant effort to try to flip that narrative and we're going to give it the old college try. But I think we have to leave people with with this as well. If you're banking on your pension, if that is your solution, that's your only solution for the long game, you need to protect yourself individually. You need to be freeing up your cash flow to buy productive assets that are going to perform if your pension doesn't. And I cannot think of anything more magnificent for this purpose than Bitcoin. I think on top of that, not that I'm advocating for being
2: reckless and throwing all your money into Bitcoin completely, but um, the way I kind of work through this in my own mind, it kind of countervails your pension. If Bitcoin completely fails, your pension will likely be there. If Bitcoin is wildly successful, your pension likely won't be. So invest accordingly. Amen, brother.
3: All right, Preston, I'll jump in and then final word to Preston, but I couldn't say it any better than you guys. You mentioned the word bag holder. Look, every single person that owns bonds, which means every single pensioner in the world, because every single pension fund owns bonds, will be a bag holder. Okay, that's the pure mathematics of it. Now, you need to offset that contractual loss with an opportunity or an option that will dampen your bag holder risk. And the best instrument I have seen in my 30 year career is the asymmetric return opportunity of Bitcoin, pure and simple. I have never seen a more magnificent asymmetric return opportunity. And it's funny that people are getting upset that it's gone from 60 down to 30,000 US per coin, when in fact, I think it's worth 2 million, like do the math and understand what 60 down to 30 means zero, it's a rounding error. This is an opportunity to create or preserve generational wealth by taking a 1 to 5% weighting in an asset that could make your career. Why? Because asymmetric trades define careers. And you don't get them that often, you guys. I promise you, in my 30 years, I've seen two of them. And this is the best one I've ever seen. It's called Bitcoin. Don't overthink it. Do your research for your children. Over to you, Preston.
0: I don't really have anything else to add. Um, do your own research. Don't trust anybody. Take personal responsibility for yourself. Because if you're relying on the government or somebody else to bail you out or to take care of you or to do their job, uh, that's that's on you. Um, <laughs> um, question question everything. Um, Cold store your Bitcoin. You know, and 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 dig in. Yeah, dig in. Don't take my word for it. Figure Cold
3: it store your Bitcoin, but hope you never have to worry about the cold storage aspect, hope that there is a parallel solution that maintains the supremacy of the United States where it rightly belongs as a defender of freedom for the rest of the world. And the way you can do that is by a parallel system that ensures the US dollar currency versus the best store of value ever created, Bitcoin. The two can coexist, you guys. It's a beautiful solution. All it takes is leadership. Keep pushing the buttons. You guys are doing a great job. I'm really honored to be on your show yet again and uh, with Preston. As always, I learn stuff. It's all about learning and being humble. Like this is not an easy journey. This is not easy. If this was easy, everybody would do it. Okay? It isn't easy. This is about sticking to your conviction, understanding mathematics, and let's talk in 20 years because that's what a pension fund is. Not for 20 months, for 20 years. Right, guys?
1: Mm-hmm. Preston, Greg, cannot thank you guys enough. Appreciate your time this evening. Look forward to talking to you guys again soon
3: sometime. Absolutely. Go Chicago. Go <laughs> Chicago and Lagunitas Beer. I still think it's brewed in California. <laughs> Just going on record with that, okay?
1: It's good stuff.
3: All right.
2: Look it up. We'll call you out on Twitter if you're wrong.
3: How about this? No one mentioned my fat head inside this small cap, but a little call out to my friend Rodolfo on uh, CoinKite, and uh, you know the little the the swag he sent me. My head is really fat, and uh, sometimes I make <laughs> fat head comments, but it's only because I care. Okay, guys. This is about the future for our children. I love you guys. I love what Preston puts out. And all we can do is continue to fight for the truth. And Bitcoin is the truth. So thanks again and good night, everyone.
1: Thanks, guys. Good night, gents. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for listening into the show. If you enjoyed this discussion, be sure to like or subscribe on whatever app you're using for podcasts or on YouTube. And if you have an extra minute, go ahead and leave us a review. We are also active on Twitter at blue underscore collar BTC. And our email address is bluecollarbitcoinpodcast at gmail.com. We invite questions, comments, or inquiries of any kind. We look forward to you joining us again on the BCB podcast.